0: Welcome to People Data Insights. This is your host, Paul Ryman. Once again, thanks for joining. Today's episode is brought to you by the word disruption. Uh, it's an often overused word, I think, in our space in particular. And maybe uh, my intro and theming there is a little bit influenced by the fact that I have small children who watch Sesame Street. But I do, a, a couple of things came out over the past few weeks that really had the theme of disruption. And I've been thinking a lot about measuring disruption and what that looks like in some of the work I'm doing with my clients. So today we're going to vamp on that a little bit and talk about three different things. Um, One is the World Economic Forum's Future of Jobs Survey and the report that was released on that in early May and some of the key themes there and disruption being a key one from that. The second I want to talk about a recent academic paper uh, that explores which jobs are going to be the most disrupted by uh, artificial intelligence. So, you know, blending in this theme of disruption and, of course, talking about AI, because, you know, we like to talk about that here. And then the third uh, topic will be, you know, this theme that is prevalent around disruption and, and how we measure that and, and how important it is to be specific about measuring disruption and churn sort of differently than just the net change. And, you know, that comes out in in both of these you know, predecessor uh, discussions on the World Economic Forum report and the academic paper. But we'll talk more specifically about what does this look like in some of the work that I'm doing, a lot around comp and and attrition in particular, where you can really see and measure disruption in a different way. So let's jump right in. So the first topic is the World Economic Forum jobs report. Um, So just a little bit of background about this. Um, The World Economic Forum conducts a survey called the Future of Jobs Survey, where they asked uh, 44 questions conducted, you know, late 2022, early 23. So November to February. So a a unique time in sort of the labor market to be asking people about jobs and and what's going on in the future. Um, They have a very specific sampling methodology where they want to make sure they've got broad market coverage, but from companies that are sort of, in their words, leading global companies. Um, so by definition, each response has, is an organization with more than 100 employees, typically much more than that. Um, you know, and they, they grabbed 803 companies, representing 11.3 million employees, so a direct sampling of a pretty good number of organizations. And those organizations were asked to respond on the basis of, well, what's happening with jobs in different markets? Um, so those 803 unique responses actually represent 45 different markets, markets being a country around the world. And those countries make up 90% of the world GDP. So we're talking about, you know, the major economies and, and job labor markets that exist out there. Uh, the World Economic Forum then does some things to essentially extract the, the findings from that sampling into a broader view of all jobs in an economy using various government data sources on occupation. So, you know, for example, if those 803 uh, companies all are in the United States, they're not, but assume they are for a second you know they're going to give an indicator for what's going on with the labor market and the future of jobs in the United States, but then the World Economic Forum researchers take those that sample finding and then apply it to um, you know all data in the U.S. workforce using the ONET survey and things like that. So the findings are then often expressed as you know overall findings for the country and for the labor market. I always like to call out, you know, potential sources of bias or concern in methodologies. And of course, you know, there's some smart people who've done the work here. I do think it's a good sample of at least enterprise level workforce change and challenges, right? It's not always clear how representative this will be on organizations that are small. Um, Since everyone in this sample um, has a workforce of greater than 100 and in most cases much larger than that, it's hard to know how this would affect the, you know, the mom and pop shops, the small businesses, in terms of that level of disruption, could be different in terms of, you know, in those organizations, you do see jobs that are a bit more generalist and less uh, specialist. And as a result, some of the disruption might just be on the margin. Um, but I, I think if we interpret the trends within, you know, the perspective of how does this affect an enterprise organization, which most of us are a part of, then I think it, it makes sense. Um, it's also worth noting, that it's a survey of predictions, right? So it's not commitments, it's not what have you seen specifically, necessarily. It's more, what do you perceive and what do you expect? So always take with a grain of salt that we're talking about uh, predictions. The report as a whole is a chart nerd paradise. Um, So there's plenty of different visual representations of the data. Um, If you're into chart making at all and and data storytelling, it's worth looking at. You know, not all are are perfect examples of the do's uh, and not the do nots. But it does give plenty of examples if you're ever, you know, looking to show, hey, here's a way you can show this. Here's, you know, a way that people have plotted this before. It's very fascinating data, very interesting data for sure um, on a variety of topics. We're not going to talk about all of them um, for the sake of time. We're going to talk about some of the key things that are, you know, uh, important to, the, to our audience, right, around people and data. Because, you know, that's the name of our, of our podcast. Um, So a couple of key findings. Let me just uh, pull out what I found fascinating. So one, not surprising to me, um, but worth confirming is that technology adoption is still viewed as a net creator of jobs, right? So for the fear of the robots, and how automation and artificial intelligence is going to take all of our jobs, and we'll talk more about that for specifically, um, it's still seen as a net job creator, right? The only... Two, they, they talked about specific things that could be creators or destroyer of jobs. And the only two that were net negative on jobs were literally like humanoid and non-humanoid ro- robots. So literally things being created to specifically automate you know, human mechanical action. But artificial intelligence, among other things, was still seen as a net creator of jobs. Part of that's informed by, uh, they asked around you know, what percent of tasks of certain types do you expect to be automated? So, you know, reasoning and decision-making tasks versus administering tasks versus data processing tasks. Um, And this particular report compares how responses were on those questions in 2020 versus what they look like now with the survey in late 2022 and 23. And I would have expected, just given the rapid acceleration of AI adoption and, and technological advancement that we've seen in late 2022 that people would be more bullish or more um you know expecting of automation to take over more work because we're seeing what's possible in a different uh, way and pace now than we have before but what we actually see is the the percent of tasks that that the responses think can be automated did not materially change from 2020 so even though we now have tangible examples of what automation can do, it's not really changing our expectation, right? We thought that jobs could, you know, uh, information processing, more than half of tasks could be automated in 2020. We're still thinking it's right around half of tasks can be automated, even given what we've seen in 2023. Um, So we're not seeing an acceleration of how automation is expected to change things. We just believe that it will still be a net creator of jobs. Although there are some responses that see artificial intelligence, it's one of the ones that has the largest divergence between job creation responses and job um, displacing responses. So there are organizations that understand that this will be um, a job reducer, but in in the net form, it's a positive with lots of churn in the middle, which is what we'll uh, talk about when we talk about the uh, metrics of disruption. Another interesting finding in the in the data was around how unemployment rates have changed, segmented by education level, um, you know, basically through the pandemic. So in the United States, for example, unemployment is up for both workers with basic and advanced advanced education, um, but up more for those with basic education, right? So those that have uh, who don't have an advanced degree are seeing higher unemployment. Whereas in other countries like Germany and France, um, it's actually basic education workers are seeing lower uh, unemployment overall. Um, So much better change than the uh, advanced education, um, you know, cohorts. So you're seeing different talent shortages, different impacts in the labor market happening around the world. Um, We can get a bit US centric sometimes when, uh, you know, this is where we, where we spend our time, but. You know, the labor shortage here and the skills that we are looking for aren't necessarily the same skills that are in a short supply. And as a result, the implications for educational systems, for uh, vocational training may be different uh, based on the types of, dem- of work and demand around the world. The, kinda, the key finding or the big thing that comes out of the survey is around overall job disruption. Um... You know, and and they're, they're factoring in things like economic growth. And it's not just about technology. Um, but the key kind of finding of the report is that over the next five years, there might be a net loss of employment of 2%. Um, so 14 million jobs on the total studied universe of 673 million jobs. So again, they're extrapolating the data set out to the economy level. Um, you know, So 2% net loss of unemployment. Our net loss of employment over a time period, which doesn't feel so crazy or disruptive, right? Ninety-eight percent is pretty much the same, right? Um, but the underlying story is that to get to a net negative negative two percent, you're actually subtracting twelve percent of the jobs that exist today, and then adding back ten percent. So that's the bigger story, um, where you know the disruption, the churn that's occurring. Um, you know, even though we might get back to neutral in aggregate, it's different work. Um, doesn't mean the same industries? Does not mean the same skills? Um, you know, and we see some evidence in this report as well about how industry employment has really changed. I think a lot about in, you know, hospitality, the nature of jobs through the pandemic changed so much, um, where they had to shrink their workforces so much when travel wasn't happening, and are really struggling to get back to neutral. So you see net negative employment in those sectors, whereas other, you know, tech organizations continued to grow through the pandemic, and then have Corrected a little bit here post-pandemic. So even at that level, you're seeing jobs move between industries at very different skill levels. So there is a differential impact that's occurring on the workforce as a whole. The report from WEF talks about kind of which industries are going to see this churn over the next few years. And what you see is that the churn is coming in sort of the IT space, the information spaces, media and entertainment financial services, so that the churn is coming to those industries that are advanced skill, that do have a fair amount of tasks that are, are ripe for automation. The question is, what what's going to replace the jobs that are automated since we're still projecting a degree of employment growth in those sectors? Um, so I, I encourage you to look at the report. Um, there's a whole bunch of details by country, by occupation type, um, you know, that break down specifically how are people feeling about the skills needed for these roles in this industry. Um, so a lot of fascinating data. It's it's too much to dig into uh, in a podcast. There's just too many specific statistics. But I definitely wanted to make the audience aware of its existence, and uh, you know, and and call out some of the key findings. So the second topic related uh, that I wanted to discuss is an academic paper that was recently released that talks about specific skills and roles where AI is likely to be more disruptive. Um, the full title is The Occupational Heterogeneity in Exposure to Generative AI. If the World Economic Forum report was a chart nerd's paradise, uh, this is the opposite. Um, it's actually particularly dense, in my uh, opinion, um, with a lot of math um, supporting it, which is what you would expect from an academic paper. Um, but it is, it's a fascinating view into a more specific lens. It's not just, hey, the robots are coming you know, we're going to be disrupted, we're going to be disrupted. Um, it, it, it takes a more structured approach to, well, what's going to be disrupted and how is it going to be disrupted? So they employ an analytical method where they identify 52 human abilities and how AI affects them. And not just a singular sort of view of AI, but generative AI, both around um, kind of image processing, <clears throat> um, separately from you know, text generation, essentially, right? So the different forms of AI that we are seeing accelerating the most now, it's understanding, well, how do each of these affect the skills that exist in different roles? And then it takes those 52 skills and, and maps them against the O*NET uh, database of occupations. So it's then making projections about, well, which of these occupations have the skills that are most disruptive, and as a result... Um, and I should say most disrupted by language modeling, artificial intelligence or image generation or image processing, artificial intelligence. And as a result, which of these occupations are more at risk. So it's a, a fascinating way to look at, you know, what the issues might be, and specifically what roles might be subject to, to automation risk. For those who don't want to dig through the whole paper, um, the Washington Post actually uh, produced an interesting interactive visualization where you can search for a job and sort of see how it plots against these things. Um, You know, but a few examples just to illustrate the concept. So if you think about language-generated AI like ChatGPT, you know, it identifies, for example, that it's somewhat obvious, like public relations specialists are more likely to see uh, impact from AI than dancers, Uh, because the text isn't going to fundamentally disrupt the dancers, but is more likely to disrupt the public relations specialists. Um, Or the image generation AI, like Midjourney, is more likely to disrupt roles like interior designers, and again, less likely to affect something like the dancers. Then you have roles like fashion designers that are more impacted than average on both of those, because there's both language generation and image generation sort of issues and risks and and needs within that role. So I have some bad news to break to those in the audience in the compensation and benefit space. So, um, and this is not too surprising given that several years ago there was a separate chart that illustrated that that compensation management was a job likely for disruption. Um, Once again, compensation and benefit managers surfaces as an occupation um, well above average uh, level of impact, um, based on language model generation, so ChatGPT being a thing that is pretty high um, you know, in terms of affecting compensation to benefit managers compared to all, and it's among the higher wage op- occupations Im- op- impacted by AI. So now is definitely the time to figure out how to outrun the robots if you're in the comp and ben space. Um, I'll put links in the show notes both to the paper itself and to the Washington Post Interactive, because it is a fun visual to sort of explore and understand. A lot of the findings are pretty sensible, um, where it's like, yeah, this makes sense that this type of a role would be more disrupted than others. I think what I found fascinating was the, the divergence sometimes when it would occur, um, and the similarities where language generation versus image processing AI would have a you know, similar or different impact on different roles. Um, but I think it's definitely worth exploring and uh, and and being conversant with uh, that language. So the final topic I wanted to address today is around this concept of disruption and measuring it. And the word that's used a bit in the World Economic Forum report, which I think is worth you know thinking about uh, specifically, is churn. It's a key concept where, you know, the, the variance in the change underneath the net effect tells a different story, or at least feels like a different story than the net effect, right? So that the finding before, 2% net loss of employment over five years, doesn't feel as major as subtracting 12% of the jobs, adding back 10% of the jobs. So 22%, essentially, uh, disruption of the labor force or churn in the labor force. That's a bigger story. And there's a lot of examples in, in the work I've done in the past that I'm doing now where this concept of measuring churn explicitly and not just focusing on the net change is really important. So those who spend your day analyzing people data, you know, here's a bunch of examples um, that come to mind around the, the gross amount of change, the, the amount of churn and the amount of disruption being different maybe than the net effect. So I'll just run through some and sort of talk about how we think about them. So one is, um, one of my favorites, I had a CEO once who wanted to communicate to everybody, hey, bonuses are up 7% from last year. Um, that's a good news story, right? Uh, and it was true in aggregate. Um, the challenge is a lot of people saw changes that were different than that, um, right? If you weren't here, that's an irrelevant statistic, but you know, it was up 7% on average, but for a higher performer who maybe isn't a higher performer now, um, their bonus went down. Um, so we needed to find a way to think about, well, what percent of people are experiencing an increase in bonus? What percent of people are experiencing a decrease in bonus to modify the language a little bit? Um, another one that, you know, similar in nature is around, uh, costing an incentive plan. And, you know, in my sales compensation work, we're always striving for cost neutral design. So let's change the way that we can drive behavior without affecting the underlying cost structure of the sales force. Well, a sales incentive plan being cost-neutral is is important, but we also need to be careful about the disruption that it creates. So if you're just taking money from your best people before and now they're defined as the worst people and giving it to those who weren't making money before, even if the design is cost-neutral, there's going to be an impact. And particularly in sales compensation, you're worried a lot about um, creating disruption in the sales organization since they're the face to the customer and it can create underlying customer disruption. So... Um, you know, you can't just look at it as something cost neutral. You want to know how many winners and losers are there? What's the amount of money moving around? There's a metric I was taught to use years ago called displacement, which looks at the absolute value of the money changing hands. And there's some rules of thumb about, well, when is it too much? When does it feel like too much, too much displacement? And it's going to be an unsuccessful change in program. Another example is around, uh, you know, job churn and job growth, um, you know, so if a, if a role becomes available, somebody leaves, or if you create a new job, oftentimes that's not just one movement. Uh, one of my corporate stops that I won't mention, uh, we explicitly measured that for every a trit or for every net new rec that wasn't a campus hire, to put a, a qualifier on that, we'd actually end up filling 2.3 jobs on average, right? So that person would leave, typically in that organization, someone from within the company would fill that job, Someone else from within the company would fill that job as well, uh, the next one, right? So you have these multiple fills that occur. So even when we would talk about, okay, we had you know, 100 jobs that were displaced, that actually meant we ended up recruiting for 230 jobs on average because of that you know, churn that occurs as people step into new roles. It's a good outcome, but it was a, a very different experience to plan for in terms of resource planning, um, you know, thinking about the cost of, of recruitment and such. There's a, uh, you know, the concept of churn and that metric is obviously out there in a, in a major way when you're analyzing sort of revenue models for SaaS companies. Um, you know, the customer churn is a frequently cited metric in those circumstances. Um, you know, but just to illustrate why it's so important, right? Thinking through, you can have two different organizations growing 5% on average or net, but have very different characteristics in terms of how they got there, right? One might retain 90% of its revenue, you know, get 5% in price growth and then um, it only needs to find 5% new customers to stay even. So 10% would get them to 5% growth. Um, You know, but you get a different experience if there's an organization that's retaining only 80% of its customers and just can't find enough price growth. So as a result, they have to find 25% new business to get to that 5% growth. So looking at the amount of churn in that existing customer base can tell you a lot around... um, you know what's necessary from a top-line perspective. So just like in the World Economic Forum report, where if you're going to shrink by 12% of jobs, you have to add 10% of jobs just to get back to almost neutral. Those the, That growth in employment in certain sectors is cannibalized and destroyed because you've got this underlying reduction in other places. So the, the key thing is to think about measuring this. Um, you have to measure both the negatives and the positives separately. You know You can always think of it as a histogram of the change impact, where you're looking at the people below, sort of that median or that mean point, and those above, understanding how many fall. Um, for things where it's earnings related, you can look at the amount of reductions or the amount of growth um, and add the absolute values together, like I mentioned with displacement. But really be careful about net change numbers, because often decomposing the net effect often tells a very important story. So, those are the three topics uh, that we are looking to address today. Um, in the next few episodes, we we'll, uh, I've got some guests coming back on soon uh, to talk more about the people analytics space and what's evolving in technology there. Um, the World at Work conference, uh, for those in the comp space in particular, is coming up here in June. Um, I'll have some folks on who have presented there to talk more about sort of what's occurred uh, and what's coming. Well, thank you once again for listening. I do appreciate all of your time. If you found this episode helpful, of course, feel free to like it, share it do all those things. I'm always open to feedback. If you want to send me a message, paul at novoinsights.com with either suggestions of things to talk about, agree, disagree with anything we say, I always appreciate feedback from all of you. But until next time...